0: me. <laughs> 20 years. Let's give the Williamson family a round of applause. 20 years. Y'all got to do better than that. 20 years. 20 years. Still standing and still standing strong. 20 years. I tell you, it's a great accomplishment to do anything for 20 years. I tell you, man, I do appreciate this privilege and this honor and opportunity. I think last time I stood up here was back in 2006. It's been nine years. And uh, this is something you don't take lightly because I tell people all the time you all have the best teaching, preaching pastor in this area. (laughs) It's not even close. So don't ever take that for granted. Don't ever take that for granted. He's been a huge impact. Like he said, that uh, I was led to Christ by him, Pastor Andre Sims and Pastor Scott Rowley in uh, 1993. But he took it upon himself to disciple and walk with me. And we have had a father-son relationship ever since. And just seeing even the relationship, how it's flourished over the years, I look at even just how watching him and Dorena's marriage. And uh, he also counseled me and my wife. And one of the things in our marriage counseling, I said, uh, how is it that you deal with arguments with Dorena?" We was having them a little early. We was engaged, so we started having a couple early. And he told y'all probably this before. He said, every time me and Dorina have an argument, she always come crawling back to me on her hands and knees. Oh, chest got a little puffed. I'm feeling good. I want to hear more. And he said, she said, come on, work my bed and fight me like a man. <laughs> so I couldn't just get too much advice on how to deal with arguments there. And y'all know me and my wife, Casilda loped. She's right here on the front row. <laughs> we had the kids here family members, friends from my church uh, over at West Harper, if y'all will stand so they can acknowledge y'all. <laughs> uh, and I just thank everyone here that came to support me, those that came in, with my boy, K Cook, Miss Thea, everyone came to pull in to STBC this morning. But one of the things I do like, though, Past, is I do thank you for the impact you made in my life. I do thank you for the foundation that you laid for me today. And the Lord put this message on my heart. We're going to come out of Luke chapter 17. Luke chapter 17, we're going to be reading verses 11 through 19. My wife was extremely excited to come here today. Not to hear me, but to be with y'all. I remember me and my wife started dating. My uncle told me, he said, to see if she a good woman, he said, what you do is when you pick her up, he said, you lock all the doors. And he said, when she come to the car, you unlock the passenger side door. Then you walk around the long way. He said, if she reach over and unlock that door, she worth keeping. (laughs) (laughs) She reached over and she unlocked the door. some of y'all know I told you all how when we her first got home, Uncle Leon didn't always give me some good advice. Because he said that when we get home, I need to let Casilda know who wear the pants in the family. So when we got to the house, I took and I threw her a pair of my pants. I said, woman, put them pants on. She said, boy, you know I can't wear your pants. I said, well, as long as you know who wear the pants in the family. So I get on the phone to call my Uncle Leon to let him know what I had just did. Ring, ring. So my auntie picked up and I said, put Uncle Leon on the phone. While I'm waiting on him to come, she come throwing me a pair of her pants. I said, what you want me to do with these? She said, get in them. I said, girl, you know I can't get in your pants. She said, you never will. You don't change your attitude. We do is wear shorts around the house. (laughs) We in Luke chapter 17. (laughs) Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for this day and this opportunity. Father, we pray that your word would go forth, Lord. Use it to convict those that need convicting, comfort those that need comforting. But at the end of the day, Lord, I find that there's areas that we can be challenged from your word. And we ask it in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. Luke 17, this is a familiar and popular text of scripture. We're going to begin at Luke 17, starting at verse 11. It says, now it happened. As he went to Jerusalem, there he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. Then as he entered a certain village, there met him ten men who were lepers, who stood afar off. And they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. So So when he saw them, he said to them, Go show yourself to the priests. And so it was that as they went, they were cleansed. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, Returned and with a loud voice glorified God. And fell down on his face at his feet giving him thanks and he was a Samaritan. So Jesus answered and said were there not ten cleansed but where are the other nine? Were there not not any found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And he said to him arise go your way your faith. Has made you well. Back up here at verse 16, it said, And he fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks. I want to talk from the topic, I return to say thank you. I return to say thank you. A lot of the times when we hear the word eulogy, it takes us back to funerals. A eulogy is when you give high praise or speak highly of an individual. And one of the most tragic and saddest things for our culture is that the only time people really hear how much somebody meant to you or how important they were to you is at funerals. And everybody's around to hear it but them. That's why I think it's important for us to tell people how much we, they mean to us. Then we can assume all day, well, they know they, how, much, how important they are to me. How do you know they know? See, we're assuming they know. But the way that they know is if you know for sure, is if you tell them how important they are to you. And when you read this text of Scripture, one of the things that Jesus is teaching and one of the main points even throughout Scripture is that we have to have an attitude of gratitude. We have to have an attitude of gratitude. And when you look at these ten lepers right here, the story is this. Let me give you the content so you can appreciate the context. Jesus is one. He's walking through Samaria and Galilee. Now that's just not just geographical; it's also theological, because Jesus is not one just to walk on one side or the other. He didn't want to just be with the Christians and not the non-believers. And here he is; he's walking between the saved and the unsaved, the sacred and the uh, secular, the righteous and the unrighteous. In some cases, the self-righteous. Jesus is walking between them because Jesus wants to make sure everybody sees that he is the sinner or whatever's going on. <laughs> he would be the divide, the centerpiece that would bring all of us together. And when you look at the story here, Jesus is walking into a, where he's uh, coming into the city, and you see a group of some, uh, lepers. Lepers was ones who had the, uh, leprosy, and so they would be in colonies. And so when they're in colonies, they had to stay outside because they were considered outcasts. They was not allowed to commune a fellowship with everyone else. And so here they are, Jesus is walking in. They are in fellowship with one another. They are in community with one another. But what makes this even more important is that the Jews and the Samaritans have a huge hatred and dislike toward one another. And, it's, and what's so amazing about the whole situation is they dislike and they hatred was not the priority no more. Because they had something going on inside of them that took priority of their financial state, their race, their culture, or whatever their political stance was so that they could come together in community and call out to Jesus together. Now, they have a condition going on inside of them. But we as believers, we don't have something going on inside of us, but we do have someone going on inside of us that should be able to teach us where we can put down our political differences, our racial, our financial, economic, and be able to fellowship and come together and call out Jesus' name at the same time. Now they have a condition, but we have a position. We are seated at the right hand of the Father. We are righteous. We are holy. And there is the, and that's the thing about that is that we have that Jesus Christ dwelling in each and every one of us. Is everybody in here Say, Now if we all profess Jesus Christ. We have the same Lord. The same baptism. One Lord. One God. One Father of all. So there's a oneness going on. So there's no reason we should not have unity. There's no reason we should not be grateful when we see the things that God has done for us and will continue to do. But one of the things is I stand out when I look at this text, people always talk about thanks, but nobody ever deals with the other nine. Because Jesus did ask a question. He said, where are the other nine? Where are the other nine? Notice when they screamed out to Jesus, they said, Lord, have mercy on me. Now, some texts would even say, Lord, have pity on me. One of them didn't come back because Jesus is wondering, where are the other nine? One of them didn't come back because everybody that's sick don't want to be healed. People are content with having the victim's mentality. They like to point the finger and blame everybody for everything. It's my teacher's fault. It's my spouse's fault. It's my pastor's fault. It's my parents' fault. It's my grandparents' fault. It's what I grew up with. And we don't ever take away the impact or the uh, effect that it had on you. But when something affects you, it may uh, use you to change, grow you, or challenge you. But a lot of times, we're walking around with infections. When something infects you, it contaminates you and keeps you from moving and growing the way God needs you to move and grow. And a lot of times, we have to stop allowing people and things that happen to us to infect us. A lot of times, things may affect how you believe, how you think, how you operate. But when you understand who you are in Christ, you should be able to get up. You should be able to move because you should be standing strong. And here he is. God wants us to be out there telling people who he is and how great we are. But because of what happened to us, we're struggling. We're supposed to be giving out praise reports, but we give out injury reports. Somebody can say, how you doing? Well, my arthritis is bothering me. My blood pressure is a little high. My wife left me for my best friend's wife. My kids on drugs. My kidney is failing. And then we had a nerve to say, but God is good. (laughs) Ain't nothing about your disposition. What you said showed that God was good. Now, the word is true. God really is good. God is great. But we at some point got to let the words that come out of our mouths also marinate in our hearts. Because when the word marinates in your heart, it's not just lip service. It becomes a way of life. But he's wondering, where are the other nine? Well, the second one probably didn't come back because he was mad at Jesus. He was mad at Jesus. See, what, what, what a lot of people do is we put Jesus in a box. And when we put Jesus in a box, we always think we got him figured out. And once we think we got Jesus figured out, then we're going to operate based on how we think we got God figured out. And that's dangerous because here he is, just like Mary and Martha. Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. We all know the story, we know the history. How much Jesus loved them. Every time Jesus comes to the city, he hang with Mary, Martha and Lazarus. He going to eat over at Mary, Martha and Lazarus. He hanging out over at Mary, Martha and Lazarus. He was over there house so much they claimed him on their W2s. But the moment Lazarus was about to die, He's sick. They don't send Jesus on Facebook. They don't hit him up on Instagram. They don't email him and say, the one you love is sick. Now, Jesus stayed away two extra days because he needed Lazarus to die. Now, remember, Mary and Martha, these are the ones that so close and love Jesus. Last time we read about all them together, Martha's in the house complaining that Mary ain't out there helping her. Mary's outside in the presence, worshiping and enjoying Jesus. So here he is. Lazarus don't end up dying. And then he's on his way back to the city. But see, the thing we have to understand is Jesus do everything with purpose, for a purpose, and on purpose. He had to stay away two more days because we think what our mess is bigger than God's mission. We think what we're going through takes priority over his message. See, that's why we cannot think we can put God in a box and figure we got God figured out. Because Jesus had a reason and a purpose why he had to let Lazarus go ahead and die. Because Lazarus will be the third resurrection throughout Jesus' earthly ministry, the third person that he raised from, uh, brought back to life. The first one was the woman, who, the widow whose son had died. And on the way to the funeral, Jesus touched the casket and brought his son back to life. The next one was Jairus' daughter, the 12-year-old girl. Here she is. She don't got sick. Jesus went to her house, spoke her, and brought her back to death. The reason why he had to let Lazarus die and the reason why that number four is so important is because in the first century, they had a belief that when someone died, their spirit hovers around for three days. And after, yeah, I'm going to (laughs) teach for you. After the (laughs) spirit hovers around for three days, they believed that within that 72-hour period, the spirit can go back to the body and that body will come back to life. So Jesus had to let Lazarus die and get that fourth day on because he had to kill everything that was going to take away credit from God. And so when Jesus did that, now Mary, the one who was outside with Jesus, she get an attitude. Jesus on his way to the house and I can see the conversation there. Martha's like, here come Jesus. Let's go out here and worship him because I got to talk to him. And Mary like, "Uh, uh-uh, I'm standing in the house. I don't got nothing to say to Jesus. But Martha's like, uh, uh-uh. uh, she don't rolled up her head like them sisters be doing. <laughs> I got to give him a piece of my mind. <laughs> she don't went out there, Jesus. And see, this is the roles reverse. Mary, who was outside when things were going well, she was outside, and Martha was in the house. But then when she get mad at Jesus, when Lazarus die, Mary stays in the house, and Martha wants to go outside and have an attitude with him. We got to stop putting God in a box. We have to understand we are going to go through things. We are going to have trials. We're going to have tribulations. We're going to deal with long-suffering. We're going to be struggling. We get, uh, Some people have bought the lie that once you accept Jesus Christ, you ain't going to have to go through nothing. Why do you think he tell us to, be, to endure hardship like a good soldier? Why do y'all think he tell us to put on the whole armor of God? If we weren't going to have to go through nothing, he wouldn't tell us to put on nothing. But we have to stop putting God in a box. And we need to understand that everything we go through is for a temporary period of time. We gotta stop taking what's temporary and making it permanent. We gotta stop that. Because everything you go through, you're going through ups and down. You're going to have seasons, but you have to understand it's not permanent, it's temporary. And understand the temporary is necessary, but it's still just temporary. And so when you come through, you have to understand and you have to trust God to be who he is. And we got to stop blaming and pointing everybody, blaming everybody. If somebody knocked you down today, September 13th, it's their fault. If we get back here next week and you still laying down, it's your fault. (laughs) But he want to know where is the other nine? Well, the the third and fourth one probably didn't come back because one of the conditions of leprosy is that it attacks the bacterial system. It causes your skin to have boils and sores on. Am I right, Dr. Gibson? Boils and sores on. (laughs) (laughs) And what it is, and so one of them didn't come back because he was probably having a flesh problem. It was hard for him to go tell Jesus, thank you, because he's still struggling in the flesh. He's accomplished. He has a good attitude and trying to do things, but things ain't always going his way, so he's still struggling a little bit with the flesh. And when you're struggling with the flesh, 1 Corinthians lets us know that bad company corrupts good character. And this is how people get leprosy. It's not something you get by just bumping into somebody, shaking their hand. Leprosy is long, consistent contact with somebody who has that disease. And for you to get leprosy, you have to be with somebody consistently a long time and then till you get that disease. And the reason why a lot of Christians are struggling with their walk is because we hanging around people that will contaminate us. We hang around people that ain't walking with God. Because we go out thinking we're gonna affect them but they end up infecting us. Because one of the other things that the leprosy that condition do is it causes your it attacks your nervous system so you no longer have the ability to feel. That's why when you see them, they have no fingers or no arms or nose fall out. That's why they had to cover their face, and then they had to tear their clothes, and they have to yell, unclean, unclean, because they lose the ability to feel. And when you're in the flesh, you lose the ability to feel. Because people are trying to love on you, you don't feel it. People are trying to be there for you, you ain't feeling it. People are trying to care for you, you ain't feeling it, because you're living in the flesh. And a lot of times, people live in the flesh because they get tired of waiting on Jesus. They think God they don't need to hurry up. They think God is moving too slow. And when we sit up and think God is moving too slow and we want to take things in our own hands, it never turned out the way we think. Do I have a witness? It never turned out the way we think it should. Here we are. Somebody wants to get married and they've been waiting and trying to do it God's way. I'm trying to wait on you to send me this believer, a man of God, a woman of God. And God, you ain't send nobody my way. And here I am, my biological clock is ticking. And, you know, the only ones that's doing is these unbelieving brothers and sisters that's on my job. We got to be careful with trying to rush God because God will give you what you think you want. God will give you what you think you want. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, that's exactly what he did. He, he, you see a situation where a man is sleeping with his, step, his uh, father's wife. And uh, you got people running around the church of Corinth acting crazy. Paul said, go ahead, turn them over, give them the Satan." Go ahead. That's what they want. Go ahead and let them have it. We got to be careful because God will give us what we think we want. It reminds me of the story of this guy who was uh, on, the, on his way to um, Atlanta and he was going 30 miles over the speed limit and the state trooper said I need you to give me a reason why I don't need to write you a ticket. He said because I'm at the end of my shift and I need you to tell me something I ain't never heard before. He told him, he said Six months ago, my wife ran off with a state trooper, and I thought that was you trying to catch up to me to bring her back. (laughs) We got to be careful thinking what we want. Because everybody want to get married, but you ain't ready for marriage. We had like, and the church do a bad job with singles because the church make being single like it's a disease or something. Being single ain't no disease. They be like, you ain't married yet. It ain't no disease, and if it is, marriage surely ain't the cure. (laughs) My grandmama said marriage is like flies on the screen. Those on the outside trying to get in and those on the inside trying to get out. (laughs) It's better for you to be single and wish you were married than for you to be married and wish you were single because it's a totally different thing. And so what it is, we get mad at God because he ain't moving lo- quick enough for us. And so with God is still asking the question, where are the other nine? But then the fourth and fifth one, they didn't come back because God healed their body, but they still struggling financially. Their pockets ain't what it used to be. Hey, God, you don't heal my body. I'm living from check to check. And in some cases, just getting more income in the house is a problem that was solved for most people. But the biggest issue is, don't nobody live within their means no more. Wow. Why do you think them credit cards are maxed out everywhere? Well. And this is the thing. We're trying to live up to an image for somebody we probably don't even care for. Well. We spend money we don't have wow. to buy stuff we can't afford to impress people we can't stand. Wow. <laughs> and we got money going out. We got more going out than we got coming in. Right. And this is what we have to understand is that when your outgo exceeds your income, your upkeep will be your downfall. Right. Live within your means. Be asking, where are the other nine? You got the six and the seventh one. They upset because here they are. God will keep moving people out their life. Every time you turn around, they got somebody different in their life, somebody new. And God keep moving people out their life. People in your life, some people God sent and some people you just picked. Everybody in your life ain't God sent or ordained. But every, even, even the ones God sent, they stay there for a season. They're seasonal. It's like I call them kite relationships. Y'all know what a kite is. I remember when my son was, uh, Darius was five and Therese, we out there in the field, and they had like a Batman kite. And so I'm letting a kite go, and it's going high and high, and they think I'm a bad man. And they say, wow, look at how you letting it go. Look at how you letting it go. But see, they thought I was really holding the kite up. But in reality, I was holding the kite back. Because if I would let that strain go, the kite would have went higher. And God is removing these relationships out of our lives because we think we got people that's holding us up. And in reality, they're holding us back. They're holding us back. And then we get upset when God removes those kind of relationships out of our lives. I told him at our church, when you sit up there and you, you see a lady who's been with some guy and the guy sitting up there abusing her, talking down to her, disrespecting her. And then she look depressed because he going to say something like, you will never find nobody else like me. That ain't no bad thing. <laughs> I ain't going to find nobody to cuss me out. I ain't going to find nobody to go from job to job. I ain't going to find nobody that's going to respect me. I ain't going to find nobody that's going to treat me right. I'm not going to find nobody that's not going to cherish me. Thank you, Jesus. (laughs) Use that as motivation. That ain't no knock. That's a great thing. I told them, this is what you do. Because a lot of people in this church right now, there may be a few of y'all, the only reason you're here is because somebody broke your heart. And that was the motivation for you to get your life back right with God. And you're still a little bitter because they broke your heart, but you have joy because of where you are with God right now. This is what you do. When you leave church today, go to Walgreens and buy a thank you card. Buy a thank you card. And you send them that thank you card. And you want to thank them for what they did to you. Because if they didn't do what they did to you, you wouldn't be where you are with God right now. You wouldn't know your value. You wouldn't appreciate yourself. You wouldn't love who you are. You send them a thank you card for getting you back right with God. But don't leave the aisle just yet. Also pick up a sympathy card. And send that to them. And tell them you're sorry for they lost. Because they didn't appreciate what they had. They didn't acknowledge what they had. And now that you know your value, you know what they lost out on. Yeah, tell them you're sorry for they lost. Because you can't be bitter. You move on. You can't be bitter. Because God is saying, where are the other nine? Well, the eighth and ninth one didn't come because... One of them is a servant in the church, and the other one was a pastor. Now God don't heal them. Now they got to go back to that same old lifestyle again. So you got the servant who's upset because nobody acknowledges what I do at the church. I serve, and I serve, and I don't really get no acknowledgement. I don't feel appreciated. I feel overworked. And so now I don't want to do it, but I'm going to do it because it's my duty. You do do things because it's your duty, but you also should do them because it's your desire. Your desire is to please God. Whether it's on your job or in the church, all your work is unto the Lord. We got some Bible readers. Your work is unto the Lord. Your work is not unto strong tower. Your work is not unto your pastor Chris. Your work is not unto your ego. Your work is not unto your pride. Your work is not to you just patting yourself on the back so you can brag about what you're doing. Your work is unto the Lord. And when you get your focus off the Lord and start wanting everybody else to give you praise, then you're going to be bitter. You're going to walk around. You're going to have a bad attitude. You're going to be doing it, but you ain't going to get the same privilege. It's just like the little girl jumping in the backseat of her daddy's car. He said, little girl, sit down. Little girl didn't sit down. He he looked back. He said, little girl, I don't want to have to pull this car over. I said, sit down. So she sat down, and she said, Daddy, inside I'm still standing. We're doing stuff, but inside, we ain't really feeling it. And it affects us on the outside. Because you're doing it, people looking at you frown, and you all upset, and you doing it, you short with people. No, you got to have it right. You cannot sit up there and allow what, what people have done to you. And then you may be mad at God, talking about, here I am, I've been praying about this person, and we struggling. Here we are going against, and you told me, pray for my enemies. And God, I've been talking to you about them all day long. I've been talking about how they treat me. I've been talking about how they act toward me. I've been talking about this. I've been talking about that. That's the problem. You're talking to God about them. God said pray for them. It's a difference in praying about somebody and praying for somebody. When you pray about somebody, all you're doing is venting. You're letting it out so you can still have that same negative attitude, anger, and disposition. But when you're praying for them, you're praying that God bless them, that God cherish them, that God strengthen their relationship, that God prosper them. Even that they ain't saved, you praying for them, and you're praying that God put the blessings on them, and the joy you get is to see how God is working in their life, and you know it's part of it because you prayed for it. That is why He said you pray for your enemies. Then you got the pastor. You ain't struggling you're over here, Pastor. You got one of them who's a pastor. He is. He's working time and time again, and he got, He said, like, God, I got to go back to these stiff-necked people. I got to go back to these people who are so ungrateful, who don't love, who don't care. I'm trying to give your word to them, and they keep resisting, and I'm trying to do this, and I just, Lord, I just struggle with it. And you understand, when you heard Jewel give all those stats about the pastors, let me tell you a couple more that was left off that she didn't get to. 80% of pastor wives feel underappreciated. 50% of pastors that are pastoring today said that the only reason they, if they could afford to, they would walk away from the pulpit and never return. So when we look at what they go through, and we look at the issues that they have, we sit up and look, this is one person, and we want him to be all of us. No, your pastor is your leader. His job won't be to grab hold of all of you individually, but he is to teach, preach, pastor, and minister to the congregation. If you feel that when you go to the hospital, you, you can't be satisfied that the pastor didn't call you or the pastor didn't stop by, your focus is wrong. As long as you got people that's close to you, those are the ones that need to come by. People that you walk in relationship, those are the ones that need to come by. The ones you had your friendship and your fellowship with, those are the ones that need to come by. You got a thing. You got hundreds of people here. There's no way one person who got a wife, kids, a family can go reach and do all of that. We have to keep that in mind and stop being so self-centered a lot of times when we don't get things our way. And he said, where are the other nine? Because this is the problem pastors get into. We understand that God God gives visions to your pastor. Y'all pastor, here's Dr. Christopher Wesley Williamson. (laughs) But throughout the Bible, God always gives leaders something to do. But he don't always give them the whole vision. He just gives them part of it. Sometimes he don't give them any of it. He just tells them to move. But this is what mistake pastors make. They feel for the members to really grab hold of something and move on. They would give y'all the part that God gave them, and then they would assume what God is going to do on the back end. And that gets them in trouble because if God only gave them the vision to tell you go move up the street that's all you do for them you ain't got nothing else to tell them he told Moses go he told Abraham go they went they didn't know what else to have they didn't know what else God was going to tell them to do but you cannot give people what God hadn't given you if God hadn't given you the whole vision tell these rascals, hey God didn't give me the whole vision You got people walking around there and they hurt in churches, and they ain't no church, ain't no hurt like church hurt. Pastor Watson said, There's no such thing as church hurt. He said, Church hurt is something that's concocted by the enemy to keep immature people in their immaturity. There's no such thing as church hurt because if you're doing it unto the Lord, how you gonna get hurt? You should have thick skin. Does that mean people ain't gonna offend you? No, even when you read through chapter 17. The whole chapter, Jesus starts off talking about the billstone over a child's neck. He also talks about if you're doing what you're supposed to do and your servant tells you what you do, what gratitude is there? He also talks about offense is going to come. Why is it that we think we're not going to ever get offended? If you think you're not going to get offended, then you must be a corpse already. Because as long as you got life in your body, you're going to offend and you're going to be offended. And when Jesus is saying, where are the other nine, we have all a lot of lame excuses why we can't come and say thank you to God. Right. Only reasons hold up before God, no excuses. So when we look at what God is doing in our lives, when we look at reasons we should say thank you, we should be like the Samaritan. Because Jesus said, only one return to say thank you. Dr. Renee said, when you understand, when you know who to call, you don't focus on protocol. And the protocol wasn't for him just to run back. Because the other nine, you could say they were doing what Jesus told them to do. They were being obedient. What the Samaritan did was obedient too. Because Jesus said, go show yourself to the priest. The other nine was going to the priest. The Samaritan came on to the high priest. (laughs) We're going to cut out the middle man. He went on to the high priest. He broke down, worshiping and glorifying God. So when Jesus said, where are the other nine? Make sure none of us are in the nine. Make sure we're the one. The one who's going to glorify God even when things don't look right. The one who when we praise God when things are going better, going good, we're still going to be the same one praising God when things ain't going so good. We're going to be the one that's going to serve whether we're getting acknowledged, appreciated or not. We're going to be the one that's going to love like nobody else has loved before. We're going to be the one that's going to appreciate and tell people how much we appreciate, love them, and cherish them. We're going to be the one. We're not going to be denied. And if you're the right now, we're going to give you a chance to uh, repent and ask for forgiveness in a minute. <laughs> but, Pastor, when I think about the things over my life, man, and I look at the foundation you laid for me. When you uh, took me under your wing and. I remember when I would ask you about, you know, what the Bible say about certain things and how early on you would tell me. But then you would start telling me, go look it up for yourself. Go check on this, check on that. You taught me how to study the word, the principles, the questions to ask. Ask who's it talking to, what's its intent, what's its purposes, how does it apply today, do it apply today. So those are questions we ask when we're looking at the text of scriptures. I thank you for even the investment you made in me and my wife, life, you and Dorina. How y'all allowed us to be in y'all life personally. How y'all allowed us to be involved with, and they eavesdropping on my conversation. (laughs) (laughs) How y'all allowed us to be involved. And I know that as a teacher and someone who understands God's word, I think any other past I would be different. And that's why I thank God that I was brought up under you. And I do tell people that because when I look at some of the preachers and stuff today, their style and how they hold on to things, that works for them. But I love the one that God laid, the foundation that you laid for me to build on. When I look at the people, and even on staff and all the ones that was going to Bible college, they had their seminary degrees and stuff. And I didn't want to do any of that, even when you wanted me to. But my goal was I was going to teach myself the word of God with the help of the Holy Spirit. And that's what I did. And so I just want to say thank you. And I want to tell you how much I appreciate you, how much I love you. And I don't want to wait to do this at the funeral. I'm going to give you your eulogy now. <laughs> you continue in the fight. You continue with strong. Even when they're going to come, just be prepared for the battle. I remember our Layla Ali when she went to go fight in Africa. And uh, her trainer told her, because y'all know who Layla Ali is, she's the daughter of Muhammad Ali. Her trainer told her, he said, Layla, they want you to lose because of who your father is. And then he said, that's exactly why you can't lose, because of who your father is. And Satan wants you to lose. Other people want you to lose because of who your father is. And that's exactly the reason why you can't lose, because of who your father is. When God give you a vision for the church, Satan wants the vision to die. God gives his word, he gives visions for the church, he gives visions for the marriage, he gives visions for relationships, but Satan wants the vision to die. That's why he sends division in the churches. He sends division in marriages. He sends divisions in relationships because he wants the vision to die. But you continue strong in that fight, you and your bride, you and your family, and you continue doing what God told you to do. And don't worry about what people say about you because when you stand before him, he ain't going to give you a list of what everybody else said about you. He's going to say, Well done good and faithful servant. Give it up. So I just return to say thank you.